thank you. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Help us to, to just listen to your voice today. Amen. We began a series last week looking at the Lord's Prayer. Remember the disciples said, above anything else, they said, Jesus, teach us. Teach us how to pray. They saw in Jesus the core of why he was so different from all the other teachers. And that was Jesus' prayer life. It was the one thing that we have recorded that they asked Jesus to show him, show them. They didn't say teach us how to do miracles, teach us how to, to preach, teach us how to be good disciples, teach us how to do anything else. Teach us what, what is it really like in heaven? No, they said, teach us how to pray like you. And we looked last week at what Jesus started by saying. Oh, let me go back. He started by saying that these seven things. When you pray... This is what you should be like and what you should not be like. And he said that in Matthew's gospel, and we looked at it last week, before he gets into saying, this is how you should pray. He says, don't be like the people you see around you because their prayers are going nowhere. Don't, don't follow their example. They may, they may do eloquent prayers that, that speak a load of good words and full of good theology, but don't be like that. He said, you've got to be like, like I'm going to show you how to pray. And he said, prayer should be like this. This is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we ha also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I think we may know that prayer. We've prayed it a lot of times, right? It's difficult to read it off the screen because we know a different version, don't we? Trespasses and not, etc. So I had to read it carefully lest I go back into it because I've learned it since I was knee-high to a grasshopper. I was that small when I first learned the Lord's Prayer. And we know it, we recite it, but what really is Jesus saying when he's saying this prayer? Well, the first thing he says is that it's a pattern for prayer. When you pray, he's saying the first half of your prayers should always focus on God. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's all about God, right? So when we pray, he says, don't just go launching in. Lord, I've got two minutes here. Now this is what I need to talk to you about. I need this and this and this and this and this. No, he said, when you pray, first of all, acknowledge who God is. Acknowledge who you're speaking to. That you are speaking to God. 
And so you need to acknowledge God and connect with God and remember and think. It's like I just said when we were singing, I will trust, I will trust in you, right? It's easy to sing those words, beautiful hymn. But actually, where am I trusting God? Where do I need to trust God? We can just sing that. Oh, it's a lovely hymn. The Lord's my shepherd. Psalm 23. Beautiful hymn. Beautiful song. Wonderful chorus. But it becomes different when we suddenly go, you know what? I need to trust you here. And let me sing it because I will trust, I will trust in you. And so I'm singing it because I need to trust. Lord, I give you this. And so the first half we need to focus on God before the second half comes in where we focus on ourselves and the things around us. Forgive us our sins or our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. All about us. And then he says, finish off with God again. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So when you pray, he's saying, if you want to connect with God, on a, on a surface level, this is how you should do it, right? How you contact God, how you get in touch with God. Focus on Him, then focus on yourself, and then conclude everything in your prayers focusing on Him again. That's how you need to pray. But that's, that's the surface, right? That's just when we look at the whole prayer. Today we're going to look at the first two words. Should have just been the first word, but then this will be a long series if we go like that. But he starts off by saying, this is how you should pray, our Father. Now you have to understand in the scriptures, the disciples would have looked at this and thought of it as a kind of an insult I remember once I was preaching in another church a number of years ago. And before I got up to preach, the, the pastor of the church decided to introduce me to the congregation. I don't know if this has ever happened to you when you've been somewhere. It's just embarrassing. He said, I want to introduce to you my friend, Pastor David. And then he started listing all these things. Pastor David, who is pastor of this amazing church in, in Harrow, he was going on about, he's, he's, you know, he's got an MA in, in this, and he went to Oxford, and he did this, and, you know, and, and then it was like, he wouldn't shut up. He makes the best fruitcakes in the world. He's just awesome, you know, he's run a half marathon, he paddle boards everywhere, he, he can run, he can cycle. And I'm thinking, like, this is my sermon time going like this, right? And he was going, you know, like, but in the Bible, that's what they did when they talked about God. You look in the Old Testament. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Esau. You know, and then they just carry on. And you kind of, when you read it, you kind of go, yeah, I know that bit. And you kind of skip down five verses till the finally you get to the substance of what they want to start praying about. Why? Because if somebody is important, you introduce them like that, don't you? When the Queen opens Parliament, she's not just, oh, hi, Queen, get on with it. 
No, no, this is, you know, the monarch. She is the queen of this island and that island and this place and that place. And so you carry on going. Why? Because it, it shows the importance. And so the disciples would have been used to prayers where, where the introduction for God is long and reminds people of this is the God who brought them out of Egypt and into the promised land. This is the God who took them from exile and brought them back. And, and just the whole thing about who God is and how wonderful God is. And what does Jesus say? When you pray, say, Our Father. Full stop. And he's like, whoa, wait a minute. This is, this is, this is rude. You can't do that. But actually, why does Jesus just do that? Why does he just say, you know, our Father kind of sums it all up. Because our Father is the critical thing about being heard by God. Yes, he's the God of the universe. Yes, he created all things. Yes, he's done all these amazing things that you could recite. But actually, none of that gives us access to him we can't come the curtain as I said the curtain was here you couldn't go there was no way you can say yeah he's the God of all these things but it's only because he's our father that you have access to the court of heaven to where he is and so Jesus by just saying our father summed up every reason why we can go and talk to God and listen to him speaking to us but let's go a bit deeper even than that still with me let's look at that first word our you would have thought that Jesus would say my father wouldn't you my father is in heaven hallowed be thy name pray my father I mean it's just as valid for us isn't it my father who's in heaven but he didn't say that he said let's pray our father because he wanted us to know that we're not an only child he says not just about me and God or you and God it's about us together but it goes on not just that we're an only child but that when you come to him there are always siblings involved you can't come to God and just pray to God and it doesn't affect our brothers and sisters. He said it's our Father who art in heaven. You see, God never relates to you without relating to others. Think about it like this. When our eldest was younger, Michael, he used to play ice hockey. We lived in Canada. He said, I want to play ice hockey. We said, no, 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 it's too rough. It's too dangerous. It's too expensive. Came to England. We said, you've got to do something now that you've arrived. Get involved in, in sports or something. He said, I want to play ice hockey. So we went, sure. That's parental consistency for you. So he went and he, he started playing ice hockey. And it turns out he was really good at ice hockey. Very good at ice hockey. And so he ended up being on the ice hockey team down in Guildford, which meant he went traveling everywhere. There were tournaments all over this country, right across Europe, North America, Canada, 
United States. He went everywhere playing ice hockey. And when you go and you're a young boy, like he was, in his early teens playing ice hockey, it meant that parents had to go too. You see, it wasn't just him and his ice hockey, it affected the rest of us. So we had to figure out, myself and Enika, okay, who's going to go with him on this ice hockey tournament? Who's going to go? So one of us often went with them. But we have two sons, Josiah. So the other person, the other adult, had to look after Josiah while Michael was off playing his ice hockey. And then we thought to ourselves, this is a bit unfair on poor Josiah. He's just at home all the time. While Michael is going, I mean, he didn't see any of these places because all he saw was an inside of an ice hockey rink. When you got there, you just went to freeze in another part of the world. But, you know, we thought Josiah needs to experience life as well. So we looked at it and we said, you know what, we need to take Josiah away on some time away. So, you know, we went... uh, had a father-son time in Rome or in Copenhagen and in other places just to kind of balance it up between Michael going on all these hockey things and something for Josiah as well. You see, Michael's decision to play ice hockey had ramifications for the whole family. It wasn't just about him and God, him and ice hockey rather. And it's the same way with you and me and God. We're together. Whether we like it or not, we're a family, right? We are the family of God at Trinity and Harrow. And when we pray, when I pray, it affects you. It has implications. When you pray, it affects the rest of us. That's why Jesus said, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You see, God never relates to you only without relating to others. And so there are implications. He is the parent of the family. Which means that, firstly, only believers can truly connect through prayer. Look at this from John. In John's Gospel. John chapter 1. We read it at Christmas. Although we don't really read it, if you see what I mean. It's one of the, it's usually the last in the nine lessons and carols. But it actually says this in verse 12 and 13. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and was with God in the beginning, right? He was God in the beginning. Verse 12, he says, well, let me go from verse 10. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all those who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. He gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. You see, the first thing we have to recognize is that it's the only believers that can truly connect. Everybody can pray, but only believers connect. Because only believers have been given the right to become children of God. Only we who are believing in Jesus Christ can come into that, that place where we know that we are a son or a daughter. And he is our father. Our prayer is different 
to the prayers of others. Just as Jesus' prayer was so different to the prayers of others around him. Which also means that you can't be selfish in prayer. As I said, the family is always involved. How many times do we pray just for ourselves? Lord, I want this. Lord, I need this. Lord, bless me in this. Our prayer should be for all of us. Lord, I need to have that family head on, that family mentality. It means also that when we say our, this is incredible, that Jesus and the Spirit are included in that. Our Father is Jesus' Father, right? In John 20, verse 17, he says, you know what? I'm going to go to my Father and your Father when I go back up into heaven. When we pray our Father, it's the same way that Jesus prays. Isn't that incredible? No? I think it's incredible. It just blows my mind. And the Spirit, it says in Romans, Romans 8, it says the Spirit intercedes, the Spirit works with us. Sometimes we don't know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit prays in groans looks into your heart and my heart and just lifts those prayers to the Father. We pray alongside Jesus and the Holy Spirit when we say, Our Father, who art in heaven. Well, one more thing. It means we have equal access to God. There are no favorites. Sometimes people come to me and say, Pastor, would you pray for this? As though my prayers carry more weight than anybody else's. They don't. We're all our, right? I don't have like a red phone that I can pick up and phone God as though it's some kind of special number, right? Your prayers, if you are connected, your prayers are just... They reach the same place as my prayers. Our prayers are equally effective. You don't believe me. I can see by your faces. That's what our means, right? God doesn't have any favorites. We're all equal before God. The Bible says it over and over again. We're all sinners before a holy God, correct? Just ask my wife if you want to know from me, right? I just am doing a different role to you. That's all. I'm not any more special. I'm not any more, have any more access to the Father than you do. He's just called me into a particular role as he's called you into a particular role. And so your prayers carry the same weight. Your prayers carry the same impact into the courts of heaven as mine. You don't believe me. I can see by your faces. You're just smiling sweetly at me. But I'm telling you a truth from Scripture. We 
we have the same access. Who here is a son of God or a daughter of God? Right. So what does a son mean? Does, does Michael have any more access to me than Josiah? No. Do I prize Michael over Josiah? No. When they phone, if Michael's on the phone and Josiah phones me, do I say, oh, it's Josiah, sorry, mate. I'm going to hang up now because, you know, you know Josiah's my favorite, so boom, hang up on him, pick up for Josiah. No. You treat them the same, don't you? And it's the same with us. We're sons and daughters of God. And so we have the same access, the same ability, the same impact into the courts of heaven. That's why he said, our Father who art in heaven. He is the parent of us all. There are no favorites. We could keep going, but let's move on to the father part. You know, we, we generally have two kinds of relationships with people. Firstly, there's a business kind of relationship. Business relationship says, if you perform, you'll be accepted, right? If you, if you measure up, then that's why when, when you go to a new job, what happens? You get three months or six months probation, don't you? Why? Because they then say, well, if you measure up, we'll, we'll keep you on. If you don't measure up, you're out the door. And it's a nice, easy way to get you out the door because after your probation finishes, it's a tricky business to get rid of people, right? So they say, if you perform, you'll be accepted. But there's also a family relationship. And the family relationship is the other way around. Since you're accepted, hello, you're right. Since you're accepted, then you perform. You do certain things, right? And there's those two ends. Religion says, if you perform, you'll be accepted. That's what religion is. I hear it from people all the time. I'll tell you how you hear it. I really hope I'll get to heaven when I die. You ever said that? That's religion. What you're saying is, I hope that I've performed well enough to be accepted into the courts of heaven. That's religion. I hope if I do these things, if I turn up enough times to church, if I pray enough, if, if I you know, become the church treasurer or the church secretary or, or sacrifice myself enough for the church, then, then, then I'll be accepted by God. That's religion. That's business. But Jesus said, I don't deal with business. I deal with family. He's our father. He didn't say our creator of heaven and earth. Our King of kings and Lord of lords, he said, our Father. It's all about family. you got to go. Run. Okay, hop. It's all about family. It's fine, by the way. It's family, see? It's not a problem. I'll tell you why it's not a problem, because when Michael was really young, 
He used to do exactly the same thing in church. And he used to be running around. And in the church where we were up the top here, there was a wonderful communion rail that went all the way around in a big circle. And he used to escape out of a side door out of here and run during the sermon around the communion table with one of the uh, creche leaders running after him, trying to catch him up. I've been there. And so children have energy and they run and it's awesome. Because we're family, right? So you're accepted when you're family. And we're accepted by God because we are family, not because we perform. You know the difference? It also means that when we speak with someone, we trust God even if we don't understand why he's doing what he's doing. When you're in a family, when my children were younger, Dad, can I do this? No. And they trust you. Why? Because you're their father or their mother. They don't like it. Why not? Why not? Because. But they ultimately trust you because they know you love them right? When you're in a family, you don't always have to understand the reasoning why, because you trust in the relationship that you have. Even when we don't understand. Hebrews 12, 7 to 11, it says that, that sometimes God disciplines us, and we don't like the discipline, but actually the discipline tells us that we're part of the family. When, we, when God says no to certain things, we can rejoice because actually it means we're part of the family. That God has our best in store for us. The Father wants to give good gifts to His children, He says in Romans. He longs to give those great, wonderful gifts, but we need to trust Him because He's family. He is our Father. Now, I know for some, it's difficult because our own fathers have sometimes been absent or worse, abusive. And so when we pray our father, we think about our own heavenly or our own earthly father. And some of us need healing from God because of what's happened to us when we were young that we haven't had that kind of relationship with our father of trust because our father kept breaking our trust. I've been blessed in my life to have two wonderful fathers, my biological father and my father-in-law, who have both been people that have modeled for me a fantastic relationship that you can have with God. But even they fall short. Even I fall short to my children of what... Our Heavenly Father is to each of us. And so sometimes we need to not just think about our own biological fathers because they haven't been a good example. We need to think maybe about our mothers or think about the best relationship that you've ever had. I think, and then amplify that to who God is. You see, God is saying, or Jesus is saying here, not that, that God is, is a male 
that his father in heaven, but he's using that as a, as a kind of a symbol, a language of, of trying to understand the kind of relationship that we're family together. And then in the Aramaic, it would be Abba, Daddy. It's a, it's a, a relationship of intimacy that Jesus calls us to. And so when we have that intimacy, it means that we can always speak to God about even the smallest things, the little things of our lives. That's what he wants to hear. You know, I used to love it when the, when the boys came home and used to sit around the kitchen table or wherever and, how was your day? And they'll tell you about all the insignificant things. It's fantastic moments. Or when, when you got to bed and you tucked them in and, and there you sat down with them. So, what happened today? And they will tell you about all these people you've never heard of. Some, something that kicked off in the playground or something that happened in class. And you would sit there and and just kind of soak it all in because it was amazing. Why? Because they could tell their dad or their mum all the little things. That's who our Father in heaven is. That's what he wants from you and me. That's why the Bible says pray without ceasing, right? Tell him everything. Tell him all the big things and the little things. remember once I was out church church bowling it was temping bowling I was playing rubbish and I said to the, the vicar that was there I said I'm going to go off in a corner and pray because this is dismal and he said to me he said don't waste prayer I went, waste prayer this is, not, this is a crisis moment for starters have you seen my score but I said Lord please this is embarrassing. Help me. I came back invigorated. Boom. Straight down the middle. Strike. That's prayer. I said, wasted prayer. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Right? You can't waste prayer. The Father says, I, I want to hear everything about everything. About you. He loves it. Even a crisis in temping bowling. But it also means we have someone that will drop everything for us, right? My children get into crisis. Dad, can you help? I'll drop everything. Go help them. Why? Because I'm their father, right? They need help? I'll help them. Forget the church for a minute. I'll just go. Because I'm their dad. And I love them, and that's what I'll do. I'll do anything for them. They know that. They better not remind me if they ever watch this. But, but they know I'll drop everything. And same with God. You know, if you've got anything, he'll drop everything and come and rescue. When we go through the valley of the shadow, through the hardest, the deepest times, what's he going to do? He says, I'm going to be there right with you. My rod and my staff will be there. I'll... I'll move things out of the way. I'll lead you through it all so you get to where you need to go to. I'm never going to leave you or forsake you. I've written you in the palm of my hand. I see your name right here every time. 
God will do all that for you and for me. He's our Father. And so what does it mean for us? What do we do with all of this? How do we respond? He says in Romans 8, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if, you, if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. How do we respond? Every home has a culture. There's certain things that you do and don't do. There's certain traditions that you have. You especially see that around Christmas time. Every home will set up on a particular day the Christmas tree generally. They've got their own decorations which tells a story of their past and so on. There's certain things that you do and that you don't do. Some, certain, my parents, they generally eat dinner at 6 o'clock every evening. Have done since I was, right? You fit into the culture when you go to their place. Why? Because that's their culture. And in the same way, we have a culture as we become children of God that we fit into. And when you fit into that culture, you celebrate with the cultures that you fit into, right? There's certain things that you do, there's certain things that you don't do. But the joy is growing that culture. Again, when our children were little, there were things that we did. You know, Inika made this amazing Christmas tree out of material and every it was like an advent calendar and she put 20 24 little pockets on the tree and we used to buy some sweets and we used to put things in every year they would go to that we used to we used to buy Christmas presents for one another like a, a secret Santa thing and we, we had a limit to fill the stocking each year and and we used to put our names in the house part of our culture you know, and, and even now, they, they talk about, oh, I miss those days. We used to have this crazy game that we used to play at home called the flashlight game, which was kind of like a wide game. And they used to invite friends over sometime, and we were so embarrassed because we kind of dreamed up this silly game. They used to be running all over the house, especially in winter when it's all dark, with torches trying to, you know, tag one another with the torches. And we used to hide out, and one time we couldn't find Inika because she climbed up into a cupboard up at the top and squeezed herself in like some magician in some tiny box you know and we were thinking that she'd left the house or something and there she was and you know and then suddenly the door opens and she tags us with her flashlight and we're thinking how did you get in there and more point how are you going to get out of there 
You know, and, and all these are part of our culture. And, the, and the, we used to love participating in these silly things. And you, you guys have the same thing, right, growing up. When we become part of the family of God, it's not about obedience, but about participation. We participate in the culture that is Christ, the culture that is our Father. We don't do things and not do things out of obedience. We do things and not do things because we like to participate. Obedience and disobedience is about religion. Do this, don't do this. But when you're in a home, it's about culture. It's about the way you do things, right? And you join in with that and you become part of that and, and, it's, and it's beautiful when that happens. And he says what? We're co-heirs with Christ. We're part of the culture of Jesus Christ with the Father. And so it goes back to that family. I'm accepted. I'm loved. Therefore, I do certain things in response. I will trust. I will trust in you. There is so much more we could say. But let's stop there for today. I want to ask you today, do you know God, first of all, as your father? You may have prayed that prayer many, many times, our father who art in heaven. But have you ever stopped to think, really, what does it mean for God to be your father? Maybe today you need to actually just Say, Lord, actually, I come to you more like a business, like I come in fear. You know, Fraser had no fear running up here, right? Why? Because he's at home here. And so he could just run up and down the center aisle, and he wasn't, he was a brilliant illustration of family. You know? Do you come to God like that? You come and say, Lord, you're my father. Jesus, you taught me to say, our father. Just think for a moment as grace or place, how do you come to God? Do you have that freedom? Do you come with joy? Do you come with a big smile on your face like Fraser did running up and down? Hey, I'm in your house, God. It's beautiful. I have freedom. I can participate in everything that's going on. It's beautiful. Father, if we come to you in any other way, forgive us. If we come with fear, if we come trying to please you, forgive us. You're already pleased with us. You already love us. You say you sing over us. 
You sing, just sing out of joy. You're our shepherd. Father, we thank you and we praise you. Thank you, Jesus, for teaching us the right way to come to the Father. Our Father. We don't feel worthy to say those words. But Jesus, you've, you've enabled it. What a privilege, what a joy. Thank you. We lift ourselves, we lift one another to you. And Lord, as we are thinking, not just about ourselves today, but about the relationship we have with everybody. And so we lift our prayers to you. Lord, we lift part of this family, part of your family to you, Marjorie, who's in hospital. We pray that you would heal her of the virus and that virus would disappear out of her body, that she would regain her strength and be able to go home. We pray for Reg and Elizabeth. Lord, that you would bring them safely home too. Heal Reg from whatever it is, the dehydration, but also whatever has caused him to have to go into hospital. And they were on holiday in Malta. Supposed to be coming back today. Lord, make him well enough to fly. Bring him home and heal his body. And be with Elizabeth and calm her spirit. We thank you that Karen is home after being in hospital with COVID. But we continue to ask, Lord, that you would heal her completely, that there would be no long COVID and, or any side effects of the, the condition, but that she would be protected by you and, and given an opportunity to come back to full strength. For Gazala, who's Venus's neighbor who has cancer, and Doris, who's been diagnosed with cancer, Lord, out of their bodies, we, we ask that you would just come and touch them and that cancer would be removed out of their bodies. You are the God who heals. You are the God that loves to perform miracles. You're the God that loves to get down into the, the mess of life and bring, bring your spirit, bring your presence. Heal them, release them, restore them. And we pray the same for baby Jacob, who's still unwell, neighbor of Roland. Again, Lord, bring healing, protect that young life. Bring peace and comfort to the parents and bring healing to baby Jacob. Restore Jacob right now in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, on our news, we read this week of the MP, Sir David Amos, 
We pray for his family. After he was killed doing his job as an MP. Lord, and for the five children that they have, and for the, the heartbreak. Lord, be, be that rod and that staff for them, that comfort during these dark days. Lord, we pray for our nation. There are so many situations, so many ills in this country. Guide the leaders, we pray. May they reach out to you and give them the wisdom they need to make the decisions that they need to make. Lord, we pray also for our world further afield. Lord, there's so much that's going on. The, the meeting coming up in Glasgow about climate. We pray for a real change, not just words but action. For Afghanistan, there was another bomb that went off in a mosque, killing more people. Lord, where will it end? Struggles in places like Lebanon and other places where there's still violence, Sudan. Lord, bring peace and peacemakers to your world. And we pray for your family throughout the world, Lord, that you would embolden, encourage, build up your family wherever they are. Help them to trust you and fulfill everything that you have for them. For we lift all these prayers in the name of Christ. Amen.